Welcome back to the show. Today on the show, we have Adil Akhtar. Adil is founder and CEO of Psionic, a prosthetics company on a mission to redefine what it means to be human through advances in bio-integrated technologies. Adil has a unique background in both electrical engineering as well as neuroscience and medicine. He's been featured with his company Psionic on Forbes 30 Under 30, received over half a million dollars in grant funding from the National Science Foundation, and has traveled the world to showcase his product. From meeting with U.S. senators to being featured in Amazon Prime video documentaries, Adil and his team are building a brand they hope will revolutionize the prosthetics market. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show, Adil. Thanks for having me, Tanmay. So how's, your, how's your, uh, your week going? It's going well. It's busy as always. You know, we've got to make more hands and get them out to the people who need them. As I said in the intro there, you are founder and CEO of a prosthetics company called Psionic. So um, can you maybe just talk a bit about, um, you know, where you got the inspiration to tackle this industry and, and create this company? Yeah, so it actually started when I was um, seven years old, of all, of all things. And my parents are originally from Pakistan. And I was visiting Pakistan for one of the first times I could remember. And that's actually the first time I met someone with an amputation. And she actually happened to be my age. She was seven, living in poverty. And um, she was missing her right leg and using a uh, tree branch as a crutch. And that's what inspired me to want to go into this field. That's awesome. So um, from that point on, so obviously this is something that's very near and dear to you and started from your childhood. So from then, how did you explore the path towards um, obviously being being knowledgeable in the space and working towards a degree that would help you to then start this company? So where did, they, where did it go from there? Yeah. So, uh, you know, back when I got into the, to the States, um, the, the plan was originally to become a, a physical medicine rehabilitation doctor, right? Working with uh, amputees and then doing um, research to develop uh, limbs uh, for them. And uh, it, it was during my undergrad that I took my first computer science class and I realized that I absolutely loved it. And if I just, you know, became a straight up MD, that I wouldn't get to do any of the cool stuff that I learned in my computer science classes. And so, uh, across the street from Loyola, which is where I went to um, undergrad, was the uh, Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, which is now known as the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. And they had made some recent breakthroughs in um, mind-controlled bionic limbs. And it was the perfect combination of prosthetics plus neuroscience plus clinical medicine uh, plus um, engineering, uh, computer science and engineering. And then that's when I realized that that is exactly what I want to do. And I want to work on making that accessible uh, to more individuals. And so I got, my, uh, I got my bachelor's in biology at Loyola. I got a master's in computer science there. Um, I worked for a couple of years before going to the MD-PhD program at the University of Illinois. And at the University of Illinois is when we first met uh, Sergeant Garrett Anderson. And Sergeant Garrett Anderson, he uses, uh, he lost his right hand in Iraq in 2005 due to a roadside bomb, and he uses a hook on a daily basis. This is technology that hasn't changed since the Civil War. And, you know, we were like, we need to upgrade him to the 21st century. This is one of our, our, our war heroes. And so we'd been working with um, him ever since the beginning. Um, and also, it was um, uh, a while we were starting to build our first 3D printed prosthetic hands, 
we got the chance to go down to uh, Quito, Ecuador, where we worked with a nonprofit organization known as the Range of Motion Project. And their whole mission is to deliver prosthetics to those who can't afford them uh, worldwide. And they're based out of Guatemala, the U.S., and, and Ecuador. And the founder is actually uh, an, another University of Illinois graduate. And so the man that we worked with down there was, lost his hand 35 years ago due to a border war between Ecuador and Peru. It was machine gun fire from a helicopter that, that took out his um, left hand. And you have to imagine that this was five years ago. And the hand at that point, it was like, three times the size of a normal human hand. There were wires going everywhere, plugged into bread lords, plugged, in, plugged into walls, plugged into power supplies. Um, but despite that, he was able to make a pinch for the first time in 35 years with his left hand. In fact, we had to retrain his brain in order to remember how to do it. Um, and he literally said that he felt as though a part of him had come back um, and when he said that, that's when we realized that, you know, if we stay in academia, then this ends up in a journal paper. And, and that's kind of the end of it. If we want everyone to feel the exact same way Juan did, uh, did at that moment, the only way we could do that is to commercialize the technology and, and start a company. And so that's when Psionic was born. We came back to the States. I finished up my PhD in neuroscience. We uh, won the school's business plan competition. We uh, won some grants from the National Science Foundation. We're in the middle of an investor raise right now. And we just released the ability hand the market last month. That's that's amazing. That And that's such a powerful statement that he said. And I want to talk a bit more about that um, later on in the episode as well. But so you just mentioned something called the ability hand and and um, from my research. So this is your this is your unveiling of the first go to market device. And you've branded this as being the world's first commercially available multi touch sensorized hand. So um, to, to break those down, that's that's a quite a bit of words there. So what does that exactly mean um, when you've when you've characterized this hand in that way? Yeah. So um, if you if you got one of like the the expensive uh, bionic hands out in the market uh, before our hand came out, um, if you tried to feel anything from it, you wouldn't actually be able to, to feel there's no pressure sensors in any of the fingertips. And so um, with our hand, we actually have sensors in the fingertips that allow our patients to feel. So when Sergeant Anderson holds his daughter's hand, he, can, he actually gets vibration feedback that lets him know when he's making contact and how hard he's, uh, how hard he's um, grasping. And that is, is really revolutionary for the industry because, uh, you know, it's been in research for many, many years, but there hasn't been um, a really commercially viable way of doing that until now. Yeah. So you mentioned it's it's been in research for many, many years. And I feel like this is obviously a very common thing across the entire medical devices industry. But um, at the same time, so it seems like there are a lot of, um, you know, hurdles and regulations with this any sort of prosthetic device or medical device. So um, I know you've been involved with the development of, of your hand with Psionic for many, many years now. So can you walk us through that process of getting this device developed and then registered and approved? And how long did that all take? And, and what, you know, what are the real challenges and, and obstacles that you faced along the way? Yeah. And so when we first started building these hands, I mean, they were, we fully 3D printed the, the entire thing. And, and the idea was, was that we wanted to build something that was uh, very affordable and, and low cost. And, but the thing was, was that when we, um, 
when we started talking to actual customers, actual patients with amputations and, and clinicians who fit the hands to the users, the number one thing that they had complained about was that their $50,000 bionic hand um, that's injection molded plastic and has custom machine steel inside of it, that was breaking within like three months. And it's not because they did anything crazy. They accidentally like hit the side of a table with their hand and then the fingers would snap because they're rigid. And so we had to think of a way that we could still make things uh, low cost and affordable, but make it super robust. And so what we decided was instead of 3D printing the actual fingers themselves, is that we could 3D print molds and then use flexible materials like silicone and rubber um, instead to make the fingers compliant, like your own, uh, like your own hand is, right? When you hit your hand against a table, it, it flexes, it has, um, it has some give to it. And so we were able to achieve that. And because we're using silicone and rubber, those are very low cost materials and we're 3D printing molds so that we were able to save a lot of money in that respect. And we have the added benefit of these fingers being able to survive really large impacts. Like we've taken hammers to it and, and uh, hit the fingers that way. We've taken it to a martial arts studio, broken a board with, these, um, with the, the hand. We've had Sergeant Anderson do push-ups on them. And so they're very, very um, robust in that respect. And that was uh, some of the getting to that point was pretty challenging, switching from just 3D printing objects to actually molding it. We'd never molded anything before in our lives. So um, we had to go through many, many iterations to get that right, um, make sure our hand can last like 300,000 cycles of flexion and extension and hit just a bunch of uh, other benchmarks. And so as we got closer to commercialization, that's when we started having to focus more on um, the like getting uh, FDA registration. Fortunately, um, our 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 uh, hand is what's known as a uh, class one exempt device, uh, meaning that we don't have to go through the the full FDA approval process um, or um, or submit a five ten k, which can take like six months for um, a for pre market approval. Um, and so that really sped things up in terms of getting our hand out to market and on to people. Gotcha. And so um, through this this process of trial and error and iterations, um, have you found any, as you're looking now with, if, with the, your first go-to-market device, have you found any opportunities to speed this up or to be able to scale up production since now you'll be focused on a much larger market and looking to ship this um, nationwide? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and so throughout the entire iterative process, we always uh, have kept in the back of our minds that we wanted to make sure that the manufacturing processes that we've been using are scalable. And so um, we're basically at the point now where we're, we're getting these first hands out the door. And then the next year, we're going to be scaling across um, the entire nation, um, getting these hands out there. And then by 2021, we want to hit the European Union, Australia, Japan, those places. Um, so fortunately, because we take took those measures earlier on, um, we've got a model that can scale to like 500 hands pretty easily um, within our own facilities here at uh, in Champaign-Urbana. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've really built with scalability in mind from the beginning, which is, which is, um, you know, the, the textbook method of doing things. And that I feel like most companies that are successful follow that approach. So that's exciting. Um, so 
you you've stated before. Um, I know that you know in, in my research in about psionic and um, and 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 seeing more about what it's about. You've you've made the comparison between psionic being like SpaceX or bionics, um, and similar to the aerospace industry, there is a, a, a pretty high, I would say, barrier to entry for the prosthetics and medical devices industry. So um, you, you talked a bit before about how you were able to interview a lot of patients and clinicians and really understand the unmet needs in the space. Um, but with all of that, that uh, market research and all of those interviews in mind, um, how do you think you've been able to tackle this, this high barrier to entry um, for this industry while still being able to make sure that these needs are met? Yeah, and so... Um... SpaceX for Bionics, you know, we we thought really hard about um, what what kind of analogy would we consider for um, for Psionic, and really, when we think of SpaceX, what we think about is is two things. Number one, they're pushing the boundaries of what's possible with with space flight and space travel, um, and number two, their goal is to make it accessible to everyone, right? To to make commercial space flight uh, a, a reality. And it's those two things, those two principles that we feel we're applying the exact same thing to bionics. We're pushing the boundaries of what's possible. We've made the first multi-touch sensorized hand. It's two and a half times faster than every hand on the market. It's waterproof. It's um, it's 50th percentile adult female size. It's got Bluetooth connectivity, like uh, all of these amazing features in a bionic hand. And we've hit a price point that Medicare will actually cover. Um, and so we've expanded access to uh, a bionic hand from 10% of the market to about 75% of the market. And so we've made the most advanced technology accessible to all these people. And that's why we feel like we're, we're the SpaceX for bionics. They make it, they make advanced technology that's accessible in the same way for space travel as we do um, for bionics. And a lot of that, well, making that happen, it was so critical for us to determine what those customer needs were, the that robustness piece when when we talked with those like you know hundreds of patients and clinicians, the fact that their hands were breaking, making a hand that was robust was of critical importance. But at the same time, having a hand that was affordable was also of critical importance to us. So it forced us to think in a very very different way from a lot of our competitors and and a lot of research groups where the solution is usually like you know you can throw a ton of money at it or like uh, you can injection mold your parts in a different way. You can beef it up to make it super strong, but it makes it super heavy at the same time. And we took what we call a soft robotics approach instead. And soft robotics has been a, a an emerging field of research for like the last five years, uh, especially. And instead of making rigid fingers you or rigid um, components in your robots, you make compliant ones, things that are flexible, like rubber and silicone. Um, and we were able to leverage that um, really nicely to have a lot of properties of normal human hands um, in our prosthetic devices while still, being, while still being able to keep those costs low so that we can hit that Medicare price point. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you've really deconstructed the entire engineering process and really looked at how you can uh, refine or make things more efficient with every step along the way. And and as you said, that's kind of how these really uber successful companies operate, um, especially in industries that have such a high barrier. So um, I want to jump in also about a point you mentioned earlier regarding accessibility. Um, are you now looking towards being able to 
provide this hand in developing regions where um, obviously the price point is a critical factor? Uh, yeah, so that is the eventual goal. Right now we're focusing on, on the U.S., um, but we'll probably take a trip back to Ecuador um, later next year. And, you know, so we've been, um, we've been thinking about interesting ways um, to kind of get the hands out there in the developing nations where they're really um, needed as well. And um, one of the ways that we've been considering is, uh, you know, partnering with uh, nonprofit organizations such as like the World uh, Health Organization, Red Cross, to help subsidize the cost for these devices in um, developing nations. Uh, but uh, another avenue that we've been looking into is partnering with Twitch streamers and, uh, and video game companies um, to potentially make skins um, that like a psionic bionic hand skin uh, for what, like characters in a video game where the proceeds would go towards um, subsidizing the cost for people in developing nations. And so that's uh, some of the things that we're uh, looking forward to do within the next year um, to get these hands out there to uh, especially the really vulnerable populations that need them worldwide. Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, as you mentioned, so there, there's actually close to 3 million uh, upper limb amputees in these regions. So it's definitely um, quite an opportunity to make, uh, make a huge impact. And um, back, back to another point about, about 3D printing. And you mentioned that this was something that you tried very early on in your iterative process when you were making this hand. So it's, it would seem to me that for developing regions that are looking for a, um, a, a quick and easy and, and low-cost solution to, um, to this issue, it would seem to me that, that 3D printed arms would be um, you know, the, the ultimate answer. Um, and so from your experience um, in actually trying this approach, what do you think are the downsides and what, what do you think about companies um, that are trying this approach and do you think that they would be successful in the short term, in the long term? Yeah, and so um, there, there are a couple of companies out there that are doing uh, 3D printed uh, hands. So for example, Open Bionics is one and Limited Tomorrow um, is another one. And I think they're, they're doing incredible work, um, especially um, in, in really changing the stigma associated with having um, disabilities. So uh, Open Bionics, they're all about um, turning disabilities into superpowers. And so they've got like Iron Man themed 3D printed hands and like Star Wars, et cetera. And it's absolutely fantastic work. Um, and, uh, and going back to one of the points I was making earlier is that um, I guess, especially in developing nations, the thing is, is that um, there's a lot of physical and manual labor that's done in, uh, in these places. So um, because of that, a lot of times that uh, people would settle for a hook because, you know, bionic hands, A, they're expensive and B, they would break down all the time. And that's, that just can't work in a, in a setting that it needs to be, that the people need to rely on them to actually get work done. And the problem with having like a, a purely 3D printed hand made out of like ABS or PLA uh, is that it would break very, very, very quickly. And um, to if you have to spend most of your time just repairing your hand all the time, that's not necessarily um, as worthwhile to a user. And so um, we wanted to make sure that the hand that we were building was really robust for these types of environments so that um, when we do start to deploy them in these, uh, in these resource limited settings, that they would have something that they could feel confident about um, in, in going back to work uh, when, when they use their hand. Absolutely.
Yeah. And as you said, that's definitely something on your radar, right? Is you're first looking to to expand out within the US and see how successful this product can be and then expand um, internationally through those various avenues that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Um, so I want to talk some some uh, industry trends now. Um, so I was doing some some market research report, and I found that the upper limb prosthetics market value is expected to reach almost two billion uh, by 2026. And uh, an interesting quote I pulled from that: um, it said, "Road crashes are one of the primary triggers of bone fracture, and are anticipated to be a major driver for the development of the prosthetics industry for upper limbs." Um, so similar to SpaceX, um, another company by Mr. Elon Musk, um, Tesla is, is making big strides in, uh, in self-driving capabilities. So um, with this, this, this fact figure about um, road accidents being a primary trigger of bone fracture and ultimately driving the growth um, in part of the prosthetics industry, um, do you foresee an impact to this growth with the... Um, supposed more safer nature of cars with things like self-driving capabilities and autopilot and things of that nature? That's a super interesting question. Um, so that being said, I guess um, of those uh, those road accidents that happen, it's usually actually motorcycle accidents. Um, so I guess until Tesla makes the self-driving motorcycle, um, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that would still be um, slightly problematic. Um, but I guess I, I suppose cars being safer might make the road safer for motorcyclists, but it depends on the nature of the accident, whether they crash into another car, or if they crash into an obstacle um, uh, along the way. Um, so I don't, I don't think it would make that significant of a difference because most of those, um, those uh, amputations are coming from uh, motorcycle accidents. The other thing I wanted to say is that um, it's not just motorcycle accidents that are, are causing these amputations. The, the you know, two other significant um, factors are, or causes are, one is um, diabetes and sepsis. So um, the older populations in general, usually when you're 60 to 70, we see a lot of amputations happening because of either uh, contracting diabetes or, or um, septic shock, which re requires the amputation of limbs in uh, many instances. And the other uh, significant population is um, uh, the populations who are born uh, with a congenital limb deficiency um, or a congenital limb difference. And uh, it's estimated that in the U.S. Um, there's going to be about a, a growth rate of a thousand new um, full hand amputations every year from those three categories, from like motorcycle accidents, from uh, and, and that includes like traumatic accidents, like you know, like from war. Um, and then diabetes and sepsis and then uh, congenital amputations um, as well. Um, so going back to the, the Tesla thing, I, I don't necessarily foresee it um, uh, making a, a significant impact in, in that way. However, if it did, that's actually a good thing because we would want to see less amputations in the world, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting you mentioned these other factors, too. So um, this this report also mentioned these these factors, as you said, and with with the aging population, um, with more bone diseases, with more cancerous tumors and things like that, um, it almost seems like, you know, these these issues have 
are growing in occurrence and we see the stats around them that there are more and more cases of these happening. But it would seem to me that these issues have sort of always been present. So um, now that we're seeing more more statistics around them, um, do you think that the do you think that the emergence of this more advanced technology in prosthetics and in medical devices is almost uh, making the market in a sense to where these issues have been ever present but are now being brought more into the spotlight because of this advanced technology? Hey, I definitely agree with that statement. I mean, a lot of the issue is that um, if the if the hand isn't comfortable to wear. Um, and it, it just feels more cumbersome, then a lot of people will just use it in favor of their their residual limb because it's just easier for them to do things um, as opposed to having to wear this like heavy socket that you place over your residual limb and then use that to, to uh, have like, you know, poor control over a, uh, over a hand. And so we've been working really hard to mitigate a lot of um, those, those issues. Um, but what's really interesting about this um, as well is that um, the direction that the field is heading is um, is going to be really, really beneficial for um, people with limb differences, um, especially with innovations such as um, what, what we in the field call osseointegration. So this is instead of having like a, a socket that goes over the residual limb that stays on with suction, uh, it's actually having like a a titanium like stud that that integrates into your bones and then uh, has a, a little port that goes outside your skin that you can just screw the prosthesis into. And that shows so much promise. There's a couple of companies, one out of Sweden, one out of Australia that have been working on uh, some of these techniques and bringing them over to the US. And for those patients that have them, the results have been tremendous. And we're the nice thing about our hand is that it's ready to work with those types of systems um, already, and we kept that in mind as as future progress happens on on that front. That our hand, which is uh, you know, one of the most advanced in the world already, will continue to be that way as more advances are being made. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and on that note, so looking looking towards the end of this year and the start of this next year and this next decade, um, you know, what's, what's next for Psyonic in, in 2020? Yeah. So uh, we've got a couple of uh, new technologies that we've, uh, that we're, we're looking into, especially on um, the, the sensor end. So some uh, advanced uh, muscle sensing technology that we've been working on so that um, we're hoping that we might have some users even be able to do individual finger movements very easily. Um, with the with the ability hand, um, and then also on the uh, sensory feedback end of things, where we're looking into um, ways of providing a more rich sensory feedback experience, so that you could feel things like light touch, strong touch, vibration, pressure, pain, like the entire spectrum of mechanical touch. Um, so those are some of the things that that we're looking into uh, right now, and that we hope to. Uh, bring out as products uh, coming into the future. And like I said earlier too, like integrating with like bone integrated prosthetics and uh, implantable electrodes. And um, that's going to be stuff that's definitely um, in our radar as well. Also, you know, having an ability leg at some point too. Uh, we, we already have some thoughts on how we might want to approach uh, that problem as well. That's awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, so 
where, where can uh, where can our listeners keep track and, and keep up to date with you on all these developments? Yeah, so um, we're always updating our, our social media. So our, our Facebook page, uh, which is um, Psionic Inc., same with our, our LinkedIn, our Twitter, um, and our website at www.psionic.co. Sweet. Um, I also mentioned the very, very beginning of the episode. So um, a cool, cool little tidbit is that you actually have, you've been featured in an Amazon Prime video documentary. So do you want to give a quick plug for that and, and share where our listeners can, can check that out? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, it was really cool because uh, we were approached by uh, Legendary Pictures, which was the same studio that made um, uh, like Dark Knight and Jurassic World. And some of the producers uh, from there wanted to highlight uh some in- innovators across the U.S. in STEM, in, in science, technology, engineering, and math, and so they were they, they found that uh, some of our earlier models of the, the ability hand were just really really amazing, and so they captured um, one of our, our first or second trips to um, Ecuador where we worked with um, that patient that I was mentioning earlier, the one who said a part of him uh, felt like uh, had come back, and. Uh, and so, yeah, if you go on Amazon uh, Prime, you can uh, search for Make It Work. That's the name of the documentary and we're the fourth episode. And it's just a really, really cool um, a glimpse of the pro- the progress that we've made uh, over the years and having like a 3D printed hand to where we're at now. That's fantastic. That's amazing. I can't wait for the next installment of that documentary when you have the, the leg <laughs> and the arm and who knows what else, right? <laughs> That's right. The bionic human documentary. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Adil. Um, is there anything else you want to share with, with our listeners before we sign off? Um, the, I, I would say, um, we're always looking for investors too. We're in the middle of a round right now. So if anyone is interested, we'd be happy to talk. Cool. That's awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Adil. I think this was a fantastic discussion and I'll definitely check out the documentary and, and keep following you on social media and, and stay up to date with, with all the cool developments. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Great. And thank you guys for listening. Um, As always, keep giving us feedback on what you liked, didn't like, um, and stay tuned for the next episode next week. In the meantime, we will see you then.